0: I want to say welcome um, to today. I want to first of all welcome those who are live streaming with us this morning. So glad you've joined us where you are. Um, I've heard different reports of just different places and folks that we know and don't know who are, are checking in. So we're glad you've joined us. Um, please feel free to always contact us to learn more about our church. And we're glad you're with us this Sunday morning. Also glad this morning I know that um, both our regulars but also just family of um, church members. We're so glad you joined us I and mean, there's a couple times a year we get to see you. And so glad to worship with you again on this day. And others who just maybe newcomers to City light and just kind of visiting for the first time, wanting to learn more about who we are and what, what does this mean to know and follow Jesus together and so shine his light. We're glad you're with us today. Um, I also want to welcome my friends from Syracuse, New York, um, seminary friends, the Mazies, um, Mike and Doreen Mazie and their three kids. Um, part of who the man that I am is because of their friendship with me. Um, so we went to seminary together years ago. And you know, there's times in life where your friendships will just kind of drift as you go and move different places. Um, ours has remained the same, still kind of being with one another at least once or twice a year. So um, he's a pastor there in Syracuse, New York um, at Renovation Church. Um, but worshiping with us this morning, so glad, Mike. Let's pray. God our Father, we pause before you at such glory. And though we don't see with our eyes all this heavenly glory, um, we are overwhelmed by the presence of your spirit. We are all, even just in the natural creation of this day, a glorious spring um, morning here in Roanoke, Virginia. There is no doubt that there is a God, and you are God, the one true living God. There is none like you, none beside you. And to you alone, Um, are deserving all glory and honor, power and majesty. You've created us. You've given us life. And who are we that you are so mindful to even create us in your image? There is a wonder of the human being that we need to realize more. So thank you for life. Thank you for caring for just what we need in life. And thank you for giving us one another to share life together. But this is not enough. We are sinful. And Father, we have so um, fallen short of your glory. We've gone our own way. We've been uh, proud in our own eyes. um, Chasing the things of this world. And you would have been good and right just to smite us all. But in great love, with a definite plan of foreknowledge, you sent your beloved Son to be our Savior. Jesus, we love you and we long to see you. Don't just be an idea or some fictitious person we think of, just some character on a page. Risen Lord, be more real to us today than ever before in our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for leading us into saving faith. To believe upon the cross, Jesus lifted high, bearing our sin the wrath of God satisfied. At the cross, you lifted up, Jesus, may you draw more men, women, and children to yourself as they believe upon this. Now lifted high into heaven, ascended at the Father's right hand in resurrection glory. As you are lifted so high, draw many more men, women, and children to yourself in saving faith. In our midst, even in these moments, be lifted high in your word and by your spirit so that many more would come to saving faith. Disciples would be encouraged to not lose heart, but to be at peace. Holy Spirit, we are grateful for the graciousness of this day, the joy of this occasion. But Holy Spirit, we want you to do your work in our hearts. It is joy to be together with family and friends. But as we are before you, each and every one of you, have your way in our hearts. Work kindness to lead us into repentance as we see our crucified Savior. Work hope into our hearts, peace in our hearts as we see him risen from the grave. And may there just be joy together that we have and be in being your children. Father, as we open up your word, show us Christ and make our hearts burn. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 20 this day. For this spring, or the winter and spring season, we've been in 1 John, but we're pausing these weeks of Palm Sunday and Easter to go to the Gospel of John. And we've said it twice already, Christ is risen, and then the response is, He is risen indeed. This Paschal greeting is not new to us. It's been celebrated and shared for generations, for centuries, this Easter greeting. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It has echoes from the, sermon, from the scripture. In some cultures, when you do this, you also then will kiss each other on the cheeks three times um, in greeting. And I don't know if we're down with that yet. No um, uh, COVID, Derek, no more. A little too close. But what better greeting to give one another than the announcement that Christ has risen. This time last year, this time last year, I was maneuvering a smartphone out on those front steps to try to do a sunrise service via Zoom. And then I went over to the church office and we gathered on Zoom as well to have an Easter time together. Last year, we were scattered. And what joy is it to be together this year? A special time. But my question to you through this time of reflection in God's Word is, are you at peace? Or are you troubled? Is your heart at peace or is your heart troubled? It's good to be here together with family and friends. Many of us are even dressed up. You can look across and see all the pastels. Even at Kilt, I think, is out there. (laughs) We're looking forward to lunch, perhaps, with loved ones. It's a good day, but it's not a day just to kind of go through religious motions and religious tradition, even just to try to get in an emotional feeling, even though our hearts cannot but respond at the glory of Christ's presence with us. We need to be honest with ourselves and the question I have for you today is, is your heart at peace or is your heart troubled? I know what many of you are facing. Many of you are facing hard days in parenting. Many of you are facing challenging times of caring for aging parents. Many of you are facing the grind of everyday work. Many of you are looking for work. Many of you are feeling the waywardness of loved ones that you're praying for. Many of you are feeling the dysfunction of family and strife, even in friendships. So are you at peace with God or are you troubled of heart today? How would the disciples have answered this question that Easter morning before daybreak some 2,000 years ago? On that good Friday, some 2,000 years ago, the disciples were scattered and scared, troubled of heart. One of them, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, was so troubled of soul that he tried to give it back. But the deed had been done and he went and hung himself. Simon Peter, who said he would follow Jesus to the end, stood nearby during his arrest and and followed him in. But when questioned three times, oh, you're one of his disciples. You know him, right? Peter denied him three times. And in Matthew's account, it said, Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Troubled of heart. The other disciples were troubled of heart. Their hopes seemed dashed as the teacher, the one whom they believed to be the Messiah, was given over to crucifixion. And they were all scattered just as Jesus said they would be. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it will come that you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. It was but John and a few of the women Who stood with him even unto death as he breathed his last? Jesus' body was removed from the cross. It was quickly readied for burial. It was put into a a new tomb that was donated by a rich man. It was guarded, it was sealed with a large stone and guarded by Roman um, soldiers. Imagine the troubled hearts of these disciples on that Sunday morning. Their teacher was dead and buried. They had left family, they had left jobs, they had left their reputations to follow Jesus. They believed him. They went all in believing him to be the Messiah, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. They marveled at his teaching, they saw him do miracles. They even saw him raise people from the dead just a few days prior, seeing Lazarus being called from the grave. And yet the one who raised ones from the dead is now dead in a tomb. Are you at peace or are you troubled this day? Are you paralyzed with grief? Are you stricken with sorrow? Are you troubled of heart? I can recount... And I could share stories of days in my life where I have been so paralyzed with grief. Vivid memories of raw emotions of just wondering how I would get through the day. And just to ask that question, I'm sure those memories come back to you. Hard, troubling days. But on this day, are you at peace or are you troubled? Come with me to John 20. We are going to walk through this resurrection account in a couple sections. This is God's Word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of a tomb, out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were there going together to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's pause. For a time in her life... This woman, Mary Magdalene, was very troubled of soul. This woman, as recounted in other Gospels, was tormented, possessed by seven, seven demonic spirits. Demon possession, tormenting her soul. And yet Jesus cast these demons out of this dear woman And she became a disciple of Jesus, devoted in following him. She was there at the cross when he died. And she is there early this morning before daybreak to complete the preparation for Jesus' body and burial. It had to be hastily done on that Friday because Sabbath was coming and they paused it for Sabbath. But they're returning now to complete the burial preparation Nicodemus, the Pharisee, had donated pounds of burial spices as well. Often in our grief, the best thing to do is sometimes just the next thing. I just want to say, often in your grief, the best thing to do is just the next thing. There is a time to sit in our sorrow, to pour out our heart to God and to others, But there's also a time to just get up and do the next thing. Mary Magdalene could have slept in. She could have stayed away as the other disciples were. But she and a few women went early this day to attend to the body of Jesus. Often in your grief, the best thing you can do is to do just the next thing. But when she came, she saw the stone rolled away she ran to tell Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved. And Peter and John ran to the tomb. There's going to be a lot of running today. There's going to be a lot of walking. Wondering what's going on. Luke 24, two disciples walking to Emmaus when a stranger comes up beside them. It's a day of just running and walking, trying to figure out what is happening. And what do Peter and John see? The linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded neatly in a place by itself. This is unlike a teenager's room. Um, Or perhaps yours. Everything's not thrown about. Well, maybe the linen cloth is just kind of laying there. But the face cloth is folded up in a place by itself. If Jesus' body had been stolen by disciples, or even grave robbers, even enemies, they would have not unwrapped him to take him and then neatly folded up a face cloth. With Roman guards, if they'd have been able to get past, they would have just grabbed the body and gone. Not to unwrap this body. But this is what had happened Jesus left the clothes there. Now, whether he went through the cloths like he's going to go through a locked door here soon, or whether he woke up like he called Lazarus and said, unwrap the man. And he just kind of unwrapped himself. Jesus is alive here. But they don't know this yet. Peter and John went back to their homes. The text says that John believed in seeing the scene, but he didn't understand how it worked in the fulfillment of Scripture yet. From Mary Magdalene, she now returns to the tomb where Peter and John had ran ahead of her. She returns and her grief is now mingled with confusion. Come back to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in there in a while sitting where his body had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. To my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Jesus is now resurrected with a glorified body. And there is a tension as we read the Gospel of Counts of how to understand this resurrection body. He can be touched. Even clinging to. He has scars on his Hands, a uh, scar on his side. Luke 21, he's going to cook and eat fish. But there's also some other things. He's going to be able to appear in a locked room here soon. He also is not initially recognized. So what is this glorified body that is similar to ours, but also different? Mary mistakes him as the gardener. The resurrection body is similar to ours, but also different. It has a glory fit for eternity. So some of you are troubled of heart today because your body is aching. Your body is in pain. You may have a diagnosis of a debilitating disease, or you're just worn down from life. Nutrition and exercise are going to be fantastic. It's good to... Take care of what God has given us for this life, but no amount of nutrition, no amount of exercise is going to stave off aging, suffering, and death. But in the second coming of Christ and in the age to come, as you feel yourself there, you feel it. You're breathing, you have blood circulating through, you feel your pains, you can feel yourself. You are going to have a body fit for eternity at the revelation of Christ, if we're still living in a twinkling of eye, we will be given a resurrection body. If we've already passed, we will be resurrected from our tombs and we will have a resurrection body fit for eternity. Someone asked me recently, just, will we recognize each other? I said, yes. She said, how sure? 100%. We are going to know each other. We don't, lose our consciousness, and become another person. We are us, but we are going to be fitted for eternity, for life with Jesus himself, also onto a new earth. Jesus is resurrected from the dead as he foretold, but what caused Mary Magdalene to finally recognize him? Not rhetorical, I'm going to ask, what caused him? What calls her to finally recognize him? The name. He called her by name. She's like trying to figure out whether he's a gardener or who is this guy? Where's Jesus? And then he says her name and she is arrested. This is not the gardener, this is the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. She knew his voice, the good shepherd, when he called her by name. Some of you need to just realize again today or for the first time that God knows you by name. Jesus knows you by name. Jesus calls you by name. You are not forgotten. You are not overlooked. You are not abandoned. You are not worthless. God knows you by name. Go into the Gospels and see when Jesus calls people by name. Martha, Martha... You're so anxious and troubled about so many things. Mary's terms is the better. Just devotion at his feet, learning, communing with him. Simon, Simon, calling by name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded you to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When we are called by name, By the Lord, we are arrested. Imagine her thoughts and feelings and seeing her teacher again alive. Her troubled soul, grief mixed with confusion, is now just lit up with joy. Rabboni, teacher. This is the one who had delivered her from seven demons. Demons. Her life was different because of Jesus. And she thought she had lost him. She had followed him as a disciple. She had loved him in friendship. And she worshipped him as Lord. And she went to go tell the other disciples what she had seen and heard. Mary Magdalene and these other women are the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. This is not how you would convince the world at that time of such a miracle. At that time and in this culture, you would not have the testimony of women be on the front edge of what would be this new movement. But this is how God began to turn the world upside down. Witness always follows worship. Witness always follows worship. We always tell others about what we love and revere most. You, don't, you can't even help it. You can't even stop it. What you love and revere most, you will necessarily tell others about. Because you want others to share in that love. Witness always follows worship. If we're trying to just be better witnesses and we're having problems doing it, we need to think about being better worshipers. Because out of a, a full heart of worship in spirit and in truth comes witness unto that God we worship. Witness always follows worship. Well, Derek, this sounds like you and your Lord of the Rings obsession. <laughs> Brother, you are always quoting and always like up from the pulpit and text messages. I can't take it. And Derek... It's not an obsession, friends. It's a fascination. (laughs) Obsession is going too far. Brother, I don't, you're like, brother, I don't have time for an 11 and a half half hour movie marathon. Like This is ridiculous. Okay, okay. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us, friends. (laughs) So, take that. It's good to enjoy the good things of life but these are never to be worshiped. That's idolatry. Jesus alone is our, worthy of our worship and witness always follows worship. And so what the American church needs most is not the next strategy of outreach. What we need as a church here in this local assembly and also across this land is not the next best strategy of outreach. What we need is a renewed love of Jesus is completely awed by who he is. Because then we cannot help but then tell others about what we love and revere most. Back to John 20. This day is not over. There's much that's happening even in the other gospel accounts. But here in verse 9 of John 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked when the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they had seen the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness for any, it is withheld. Jesus now appears to the eleven. There may have been other disciples there as well. There's so much here that's so curious to us. How he passed through and just appeared into a locked room. They were fearful, the Jews. So they were kind of holed up. um, Not knowing what was happening. There's something. He has scars on this resurrection body. That's a curiosity, but I want to ask: as we think about these troubled hearts, what changed here? What did the Lord say to them that changed everything? What were His first words to these disciples? What do you see there? What is it? I know we try, we, we don't do the back and forth dialogue, but I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to get this going. What does He say? Peace. Peace. I know, peace. He says it twice. On the one hand, this could just be, just be a greeting. You know, like this is a conventional greeting. Shalom alakum, which is peace be with you in Hebrew. And then you just kind of say that back and forth. Or here in the South, we say, well, bless your heart. There's just back and forth, bless your heart. Sometimes it's a greet, my New York friends. Sometimes that's a greeting. Sometimes it's like, we're like, like being kind of passive-aggressive at you um, when you get the, the, bless your heart. Oh, bless your heart. Mm. <laughs> he says it once, and they are so shocked, it probably just passed them by. But then it comes again, and he says it a second time. Peace be with you. They were astonished, overjoyed, confused. This is not just a mere conventional greeting this is a spiritual blessing this is not the first time Jesus has spoken peace to his disciples I'll read it if you want to flip back in John 14 in the upper room discourse it says let your hearts not be troubled believe in me believe also believe in God believe also in me in verse 27 of John 14 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. When did Jesus tell his disciples these words? It was in the upper room discourse. The night in which Judas Iscariot betrayed him. The night in which he would agonize alone in the garden praying, when he would be unjustly arrested, falsely accused, beaten, whipped, shamed, mocked, and crucified on a Roman cross. Leading into that day, that's what's before him. But what does he tell his disciples? Peace, I give you. Don't be troubled, don't be afraid. How can Jesus speak peace to his disciples when all that horror is before him? What kind of love is this? That in his own suffering, he speaks such words of peace and love. This is otherworldly. What is this peace that Jesus speaks of? In the Old Testament, you're perhaps more familiar with that word of shalom. In the New Testament, it's Arene. This peace is not worldly in the sense it's just absence or the withdrawal of conflict. The Vietnam War ending with the Paris Peace Accords. It's just with a stopping of conflict, stopping of war. This biblical peace is much bigger and richer than just mere non-conflict or non-war. It is positive blessing. Life in order as it should be. Life abundant. And life in right relationship to God. This has been the blessing even from early on. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the blessing out of Numbers 6. Peace, biblically speaking, is the unqualified well-being that characterizes the people of God And we're feeling it. We're experiencing it. But the peace that's coming in the coming kingdom, it's coming. Kingdom has come, but it's coming. So we're feeling it, but we're going to really experience. We we have peace of heart, but we're going to have peace in our whole being, in our whole existence in the age to come. Jesus at the cross cries out, it is finished on that evening, that afternoon. But what does he now say on this evening? Peace. Peace is so, it's one of those churchy words we say, but I dare you to go find a letter written by the Apostle Paul where it's not included in the greeting. It's always grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. And in his passion, he speaks peace to his disciples. How can he speak peace to us? How can he be so positive, just so blessing when All that was before him. Jesus himself is peace. Come to us. Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus died to give us peace. This is foretold in that same prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Colossians 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Are you troubled today? Or do you know the peace of God? How can a bloody cross make peace? Because by our very natures, we are enemies of God. We are children of wrath. We have gone our own way. We're prideful we love the things of this world we worship the things of this world not God himself and God is rightfully wrathful towards us we deserve the wrath of God the judgment of God we deserve eternal hell and God would be good and right to do that for the wages of sin is death but in the definite plan and foreknowledge of God he sent his beloved son in such love for this world He comes to us in our humanity, God in the flesh, the eternal Son. He suffered like we do, tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin. What a life example, a life example we could never live up to. But he didn't come just to be a life example. He came to be our Savior. And so at the fullness of time, his face was set to Jerusalem. He knew what was before him. He allowed himself to be taken. It was for the joy set before him that he endured this. He willingly went. He knew no sin. The sinless one who knew perfect communion with God the Father and Holy Spirit for eternity. And yet, in those moments, felt the weight of our sin upon himself and forsakenness by God his Father. Judgment, wrath upon him who knew no sin to save us. We are forgiven of our sin. We are given eternal life and the death of our Savior. The Prince of Peace died so that we may have peace with God. Jesus was dead and buried, but on the third day he rose again as he said. And what does he speak? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Do you believe this good news today? Well, yeah, Derek, I raised a hand. I went forward a couple years ago when I was a little kid and Maybe. Yeah, God may have changed your life in the past, but are you at a point where you know his peace today? Today, in these moments, as we're desiring to worship it in spirit and in truth, do we know his peace today? Derek, I've never been, I don't know, what, I don't, I don't know who you are. I just kind of came. I'm trying to figure out who this Jesus is. I'm, this is kind of a thing we do. I'll do it with my family. Do you know, who do you say Jesus is? And if he is God in the flesh, this changes everything, friend. Do you believe this, that we can have peace with God through faith in Jesus? We can have peace in this world no matter what comes against us. These were the words he spoke before his crucifixion, peace. These are the words he speaks even after resurrection. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Before he prays the great priestly prayer, before he prays for his disciples, and even us, he speaks words of peace. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So much would be different if we believed these words. If I believe these words, there's two spheres that we need to, that are happening here. There's an in Christ and an in the world. What what does He promise in both? In Christ, in me, you'll have peace. But disciples, in the world, you will have tribulation, and both of these things will happen at the same time. These are not possibilities. These are promises of our Lord. So, why do we act surprised when the world rejects the Bible and hates the church? We're so surprised. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're just a good Christian. We're just being good Christians on the Christian nation. But you hate? You will have tribulation. But the thing we keep trying to mix it up like, Lord, following you is a lot of trouble. I just feel like it's always more tribulation when I follow you. I just want peace in the world, and so we're always trying to find peace in the world where peace is in Christ, not in the world. Man, if I just had more money, I would have financial peace. I'm not knocking Dave Ramsey, but it's not going to. It's not. You're not going to have perfect shalom peace by having the perfect portfolio. If I can just find my place in the world and what I'm supposed to do, I'll have personal peace. I think that's a Western thing. If only I could get past this hardship, if I can just get past this thing, then I'll have inner peace. You get over this one, there's another one on the other side. So, are we looking for peace in the world? Because Christ only promised tribulation in the world, but he offers peace in him. He says he's overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. There's no peace to be found in this world, no true, abiding, eternal peace. Quit searching for it. It's not to be found. Peace is not going to have perfect circumstances finally mellowed out in your life. Peace is going to be knowing Christ Jesus in the storm. For he himself is our peace. Ephesians 2. This is a peace that surpasses understanding. This is a peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How can we have such peace? Because he's overcome the world. At the cross, he has overcome sin. We are no longer separated from God, but through faith in him, through his perfect sacrifice, he's overcome the world of sin. In that empty tomb, he's overcome death. There's no more sting And we feel it in this world, but the promise of what he's given us in his resurrection is an overcoming. And in his second coming, he's going to overcome the entire world of evil. Sin, death, and evil is all overcome by Jesus. So my question to you is, are you at peace today? Or are you troubled? Don't fake it. Don't fake it. I told you I've had days in my life where it's just, Raw emotions, and I feel like I didn't know if I was going to make it through. That may be you today, even all dressed up. And so we cast our cares, we cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. We don't fake it. We are honest with a God who knows us perfectly, who so loves us and speaks peace to us. What are the first words that the disciples hear on that day? Mary Magdalene heard her name. The disciples, the 11, and maybe a few others heard peace. Friend, I would venture to say that this is what many of you most need to hear today. You just need to hear JP. Peace be with you. Troy, peace be with you. Wendy, peace be with you. He's overcome the world. Sarah, peace be with you. He so loves us. He's not forsaken, abandoned, misplaced. He loves us. He knows you by name. He speaks peace to you. In this world, you will have tribulation, but in Jesus is perfect peace. Take heart, fellow disciples. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the world because he saves. And friends, I would also ask if you're here and maybe you've been in a church for a long time and you've heard this and it's familiar to you, but yet how the Spirit ministered to you through his word today was such that it cut you to the heart in a new or different way. They asked on Acts 2, that day of Pentecost, what what are we going to do? You spoke a word that cut to my heart. And Peter says, repent and believe the good news. Be baptized. Just commit yourself to Jesus. Not trying to figure it out, but commit yourself to knowing and following him. Repent of your sin. We don't just follow Jesus and just think he's a good guy. We follow Jesus because he saves us from our sin. What is your sin? Repent of it and know peace, the peace of forgiveness in God. And also I would say, fellow disciples, Don't grow weary in well-doing. He knows you by name. Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and troubled about so many things. Fellow disciples, choose the better. There's good things for us to do, but the best is to commune with our Lord. We don't need the next strategy. We just need to commune and love Jesus, and then everything else will order out for His glory's sake. Let's pray.